and bring uh, our respective approaches to any given passage, we almost always break it down similarly in terms of sections, and we have very, very similar dissection of the text. But what we might use as our principles or our takeaways or our focus might be a little bit different. Um, you know, maybe the way we title our sections might be a little bit different. And that happened with this passage, and it was really fun. It was, it was really fun when we got together. He, he looked at it and saw a certain way, and I saw something else. And so the way that uh, I wanted to present it this morning very much has to do with geography and God's direction of Paul and Silas. And so you can see, um, is that, yeah, so Alfredo has it animated. You can see them leaving from Antioch, going up through to the northwest there, swinging around through Greece, on down Italy, and ultimately sailing back to Jerusalem and then Antioch. And you might see that little blue arrow that started at the beginning, right? that runs out to the island. That would have been Barnabas and John Mark. That's where they went. And Paul and Silas, and what we'll see is we meet up with Timothy in our passage this week, and also meet up with Luke, I believe. And they head on up to the northwest and ultimately to the Grecian regions and Macedonia. So now that you guys have a mental image, Alfredo, you can leave that up there if you want. I don't know how well we'll be able to see it uh, when I turn the lights back on. But we're going to have three sections this morning, and... As I've listened to some of the recordings of our messages when Michael speaks in my absence, I've heard some clamoring for alliterations. I've heard him, you know, beseech that I would do some alliterations for once. So we're actually going to have an alliteration this morning in our three sections. The passage is going to break down into three sections. Verses 1 through 5 is going to be God's provision. Verses 6 through 8 is going to be God's prevention. And then verses 9 and 10 will be God's plan. God's provision, God's prevention, and ultimately God's plan. So, last week we saw that Paul and Barnabas had agreed that they were to go back out and minister to those churches that they had been to see already and had shared the gospel. So we know that they were in agreement, but remember the disagreement they had regarding John Mark? Barnabas said, we need to take John Mark, and Paul said, no, I don't want to take John Mark. And so we saw how, while they were united in their cause for the gospel, they had some disagreements on the mechanics of it. And so you saw from the map that Barnabas and John Mark go their way, and Paul takes Silas, and they're going to intend to go on around through Asia and Asia Minor to reach to those churches. And something that I'll submit for you this morning, and this is pure speculation on my part. We always try to be careful when we're speaking up here that we submit something as being speculation. We're going to see a man named Timothy this morning. And you all know a lot about Timothy from the scriptures. 
and you know Paul's relationship with Timothy. And I wonder, this is pure speculation, but I wonder if part of God's provision through the man of Timothy wasn't a replacement for John Mark. I wonder if maybe Paul had in mind for the person of John Mark to be a disciple and a mentee, if you will, and that he would ultimately blossom into a ministry partner, maybe in the way that Timothy ultimately does. Now, Paul does not know of Timothy at the time, but what if he had that in mind for John Mark? It didn't quite work out the way Paul had hoped or liked, and what God does as Paul and Silas leave and they go back to Lystra and Derby, God provides a replacement for John Mark through the person of Timothy for Paul. And we know that Paul refers to Timothy as his true son, my true child in the faith, and has this passion and this love and compassion for Timothy and this beautiful relationship that continues to develop throughout the New Testament and many of the Pauline epistles that we read. Just just submitting that and saying, hey, maybe that's something that God was doing. We don't have any evidence for sure in Scripture. But Timothy does certainly become a provision for their mission to Greece. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Look at verses uh, 1 through 5. It says, And he came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but... His father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So, the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number Daily. So if we go back to verses 1 and 2, we learn a lot about Timothy. Um, four things in particular. The first thing we learn about Timothy is that he was a believer. Luke records and refers to him here as a disciple. And we can assume that in this context, it means he's a, a Christian. Okay, So Luke says that this guy, Timothy, that Paul and Silas come upon, is a believer. He's a Christ follower. The second thing that we see is that he is the son of a Jewish woman who is also a believer. Some of you might know from some passages that Michael has done, maybe on Mother's Day and some other um, holidays, where we have celebrated some of the um, women in the Bible. And we have talked about Eunice and Lois, Timothy's mother and grandmother that we learned from 2 Timothy. Um, We see that Paul had a great respect for Timothy's mother and grandmother, referencing them in his letters and talking about the great foundation that they had instilled in Timothy as a young man in his faith. We see that in 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, that he was taught the scriptures from childhood. Paul says, remember what you were taught at an early age and don't depart from that. So we see a a great respect that Paul has for Lois and Eunice. The third thing that we see in verses 1 and 2 here about this man, Timothy, is that his father was a Greek. And did you notice that 
Luke says that his mother was a Jewish believer and strong in the faith. And but he says, but his father was a Greek. And that's it. Doesn't elaborate. So we can generally assume that because Luke does not go on to describe anything about his father being a believer or a man of faith or anything like that, that he was not. He was not a Christ follower, we can assume. And I think that Luke specifically kind of uses that term, but, as a contrast to his mother and grandmother. And then the fourth thing that we see about this guy, Timothy, that they encounter, is that he was well spoken of by the brethren in Lystra and Iconium. You've all heard the saying that your reputation precedes you. Some of you may go, yeah, I've heard that. And some of you go, yeah, I've heard that. (laughs) Oftentimes, our reputation precedes us, good and bad. Here we see Timothy's reputation preceding him. When they arrive and they learn of this man Timothy, they learn that he was of good reputation among the brethren. Among the believers there, he was of good rapport. Isn't that what we've all been called to? You know, Paul writes to Timothy when he's referring to the qualifications for elders and deacons that they should be of good reputation and above reproach in the community, that nobody should be able to go, well, you know, they may say this about themselves, but I know something different about them. Their reputation should be clean and of great status in the community. And that's the qualification, and that's the standard for leaders within the church, but really I believe that God expects that of all believers, right? It's just non-negotiable for a leader, but of all believers that should be the case. Even if we're protesting something socially and politically, we should do it with grace and compassion and as ambassadors of Christ Jesus in a way that earns the respect of people who watch and see us. That they don't say, oh, they may say they're a Christian, but look at how they handled that abortion matter or that matter of homosexuality and gay marriage. No, we should stand for truth but do it in a way that honors God and is respectful so that we remain above reproach and we have good reputation. And Timothy here had a great reputation. And isn't that what they asked and determined of the the seven that they chose in Acts chapter 6? Choose from among you brethren of good reputation. Choose from among you those who have already shown to demonstrate good behavior in matters pertaining to the church and matters pertaining to the body of Christ. That's who you go and get to distribute food and provide other tasks that are necessary. So we see that Timothy had a great reputation as a believer among his fellow brethren in these cities. Now, look at Paul's reaction to this. Verse 3. Paul wanted this man to go with him. (laughs) That's a great... Great testimony right there. When Paul the Apostle meets you and says, I want you to come with me, that says a lot, doesn't it? Remember a couple weeks ago when we were looking at those Jewish leaders who had come down from Judea and were trying to teach the Gentile brethren that they needed to um, adhere to the law of Moses and to be circumcised? And we said they must have put up a really persuasive argument 
So much that it required that Paul and Barnabas go back to the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem to get a ruling. You know, if you put up such an argument against Paul that it requires him to go back, that's pretty strong. Here, you have such a great reputation and you demonstrate such great faith that Paul says, I want you to come with me. That is a great thing. That says a lot about Timothy, doesn't it? And so, we see in the second half of verse 3, part B, he wanted him to go with him, and his desire was so strong that Paul chose to circumcise Timothy, and Timothy agreed to be circumcised. That's quite a commitment and quite an investment, isn't it? Um, ladies, won't get into this too much. I'll just say, as, a, as an adult male that Timothy was, this is a commitment. This is a big deal. Timothy is all in, as is Paul. And so I think this is a great testimony. But Luke tells us why. Luke tells us why this was important to Paul and why Timothy agreed. He says, He circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Interesting. So Paul and Timothy both understand and recognize that Timothy's influence will be successful in part to him not being an obstacle in any other way to his fellow countrymen. You see, the Jews would have understood and they would have known that because his dad was a Greek, he wouldn't have been circumcised. But at the same time, because his mom is a Jewish woman, he would have been considered a Jew himself. And so while they understand the practical aspect of him probably not being circumcised, their expectations of him is that he would behave and operate in the ways of Jewish customs. You see the tension there? And so while we know that circumcision wasn't required for salvation, we learned a few weeks ago to be sensitive to the cultural norms sometimes so that we don't become a stumbling block. Paul said of himself that when I was with Jews, I was Jewish. When I was with Gentiles, I was Gentile. I became all things to all men so that I could not become a stumbling block to the gospel but promote the gospel. I'm paraphrasing. And so Paul and Timothy don't want Timothy to become a stumbling block to any Jews who might say, well, you know, if he was a real Jew, then he'd be circumcised. No, they're taking that off the table completely. And and lest we think that this might be a matter of legalism, it's not. Because we see in Galatians, where Paul writes of Titus, who was a Gentile, that Titus was not circumcised. And Paul chose not to circumcise Titus, specifically because Titus was a Gentile. And to do so would have reinforced the legalism that we said is a bad thing and distorts the gospel a couple weeks ago. Right? If you take a Gentile whose customs is not to be circumcised and you tell him to be circumcised, that's just legalism. But if you take a Jew whose custom is to be circumcised and you say, hey, do this so that others are not offended, that's just being sensitive. 
and honoring to God. Um, I was thinking about an example of this a little bit, but think about President Obama. President Obama's father was black and his mother was white. Right? And many African American and black citizens expected that he would represent them accordingly. Now they knew his heritage, they knew who his mother was, and they also knew who his father was. And the expectation of him was when you occupy the highest office of the United States of America, we would expect that you would represent our values and our culture at some level. That's how the black community saw President Obama. And that's a great thing. It was special that he became the first person of color to occupy the presidency. And that's okay. That was something that was celebrated. Right? And so these Jews are saying the same. We would expect of Timothy to behave in a way that represents us and is consistent with our cultures and our customs. And so we see that God's provision in part through the person of Timothy was for Paul. It was also in part due to circumcision to meet the needs or the demands or the expectations of the Jews in the area, in those churches. The second thing we'll see here, look at verse 4. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So God's also making provision and he's providing for these churches by giving him these decrees that had been developed in Jerusalem. Verse 5. As a result, the churches were being strengthened. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Isn't that cool? Isn't that what we saw when they took those decrees back to Antioch after being in Jerusalem and after James helping to craft this letter? These instructions to Gentiles and these instructions to Jews. Here's how you are to be sensitive to each other in the body of Christ. Here we have the same decrees being read and distributed by Paul and Silas and now Timothy. And the result is that many are coming to faith and the churches are being strengthened in the faith. That's cool. Look at how God is providing and what we will see is that through the person of Timothy, we'll continue to develop this this morning, he's going to provide for their route ultimately into Greece. So our first principle, God's provision will precede our assignments. God's provision will precede our assignments. And you'll understand this in a moment from the map. Any of you remember when we were looking at our study of Judges? We saw the man Gideon. When we first encounter Gideon in the scriptures, I think, he is hiding out in a wine press, stomping out grapes, but he's hiding from the Midianites who had been oppressing Israel. 
And the angel of the Lord, which we believe was probably the pre-incarnate Christ, comes to him and says, Hey, Gideon, you mighty warrior, you mighty man of valor, valor, you valiant warrior. That's how God addresses Gideon when he has an encounter with him. And yet, when he finds Gideon, he's hiding like a coward in a wine press. And my point in this is that God's provision and his empowerment and his declaration about Gideon the man preceded the assignment that God would ultimately have for Gideon. God uses Gideon to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites for a period and uses him very, very um, valiantly. He exhibits bravery and courage. But that happens later. Walking in the assignment and the call that God had for him happened after God had already said, this is who I'm saying you are. This is my provision for you. So we're going to see that kind of play out this morning as well. God provided a disciple who was of great reputation, Timothy. He provided a circumcised Jew who was palatable to the Jews in the area, Timothy. He provided a Greek, because remember, Timothy is half Greek, who would be received by the Greek churches that they would go to, And God provided these decrees that were delivered to the churches that it provided encouragement and strength. Pretty cool. Look at verses 6 through 8. It says, And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So Luke notes that they specific, that the Holy Spirit specifically prevents Paul, Silas, and Timothy from preaching the word in Asia and Asia Minor. Isn't that interesting? God, you don't want people to hear the gospel over there? What's up? No? We know that it was not about them abstaining because God shares the gospel with them later, those churches in those regions. But God's plan for these guys wasn't in Asia. And so the Holy Spirit first prevents them. Now, remember that map? They want to go east northeast and the Holy Spirit says nope I'm not going to allow you to go that direction you don't get to preach over there so they go okay can't go east what's the next thing it says we'll go to Bithynia we'll go to the region of Bithynia which is it's hard to see but more or less kind of north and what do we see happen there can't go east let's go north God says nope can't go to Bithynia either. And we even get the, the sense that it was an even more active um, prevention from the way Luke describes it. Uh, when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. I mean, they're actively trying to go there now. Okay, we can't go east. We are going to go this direction now. And no. Even when they're trying to, God says, nope, that is not my assignment for you right now. (laughs) 
Well, we could also generally sort of assume that the third prevention sort of passively is directly west. It's all water. So do you notice what God is doing through this? He's starting to funnel them through his Holy Spirit kind of northwest there exactly where he wants them. Not letting you go east. Not letting you go directly north. West is just ocean. I want you to kind of go where my plan for you is. So verse 8 says, And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Now I want you to look at something grammatically with me for just a quick second. I told you that two points of speculation this morning would be, one, does Timothy sort of kind of serve as a replacement for John Mark in Paul's life? Maybe. No real evidence, but maybe. Second thing is that this might be where Luke hooks up with Paul and Silas, maybe for the first time. Can't say that definitively. We don't know exactly where Luke is from. But look at verse 10. It says that we sought to go into Macedonia. Verse 11 says, we put out to sea from Troas. Verse 12, we stayed in Philippi. Verse 13, we went outside the gate. We sought a place of prayer. We began speaking to the women. Um, We will see some of that next week, but this is the first time we see in Scripture, in Acts, where Luke is including himself with Paul's journeys. So we don't know for sure. We can't say definitively, but this may have been where Luke begins to hook up with Paul and Silas and join Paul in his travels. Now, if that's true, what do we know about Luke? Isn't Luke a Greek physician? And where do we see God directing Paul, Silas, and Timothy to go? To a Grecian region. So they've picked up Timothy, who is half Jew and half Greek, who is able to slide in and slide out of many audiences without being a stumbling block to any. He's been circumcised, so now he's palatable to the Jews. He's got a Greek father, so he can slide in and be a Greek among Greeks. <clears throat> we have Timothy joining the, or Luke joining them now, who is a Greek physician, and he can certainly slide in and slide out of these Grecian cultures. And so I believe that part of what God is doing here in first providing a provision to Paul and his company is to get them ready to go into Greece and Macedonia. And I think the second thing that Paul is doing is preventing them by his Holy Spirit from going where he does not intend for them to go right now. He will minister. God will send the gospel to those other churches in Asia. But right now, he intends for Paul and company to go to these other areas. Now, turn with me, if you would, to Acts 21. Keep your finger in chapter 16, but turn to chapter 21 for a moment. Just as a similar parallel, but slightly different nuance 
to the operations of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to highlight verse 4 and then ultimately verses 10 through 14. Chapter 21 of Acts, Paul says, um, and after, or Luke says, and after looking up, the disciples, <clears throat> we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. So there were disciples whom they were staying with who were concerned about what would happen to Paul if he were to go to Jerusalem. And then jump down to verses 10 through 14. And as we were staying there for some days, Luke writes, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Verse 12, And when we heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 14, And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, Well, the will of the Lord be done. Flip back to Acts chapter 16. The reason I wanted us to look at that for just a moment was the Holy Spirit had communicated to several other fellow brethren of Paul's disciples and to Luke and others what was to happen to Paul when he ultimately goes to Jerusalem. So here we have the Holy Spirit providing information, but he doesn't prevent Paul from going. He doesn't interrupt and stop the way he does in chapter 16. He's still working and directing and providing guidance for his people. But this is a case where the expectation that God has of Paul is that I'm giving you this knowledge and this information and I expect you to embrace it and walk in it, knowing full well what's going to happen. And I just share that as a contrast to this, where we kind of get the impression that they didn't really have too much choice. You know, Luke just simply writes, they were prevented from going to these areas. The Holy Spirit would not let them go. At this point, God wasn't saying, I want you to make the decision for yourself and obey. They were actively prevented. Here's our second principle. Sometimes the Holy Spirit prevents us and we are to embrace him. Sometimes the Holy Spirit prevents us and we are to embrace him. Now this should not be misunderstood to mean simple acceptance by consolation. Uh, This does not mean that we deal with this with a fatalistic type of attitude or disposition. God desires that we would embrace his will and joyfully follow his leading, even when unknown. I think that's what we see with these guys. It wasn't like, well, we're defeated. No sense in 
going on. Let's quit. Let's throw in the towel. Let's go back. I believe that much like we saw see in Acts chapter 21, we are to joyfully embrace the directives that God has for us. We're not to resign to say, well, can't go there, can't go there, I give up. No, they kept walking and trusting the Lord. Um, many of you know our building downtown. It's kind of an interesting story. The very short version is that we had been at our office on Henderson Road leasing space for quite some time. Uh, the lease rate started to go up, but the terms of the lease stayed the same. You know how that is, or got worse. We needed some new carpet, and Gene figured, well, if we need to replace the carpet anyway, let's look at maybe what it would take to move. And so we said, maybe we need a place of our own. And so we looked at a piece of property that was for sale in Worthington, and ultimately ended up offering the seller their asking price. And the seller responded and said, can't sell at this time. And we said, what? We just gave you an offer for your asking price, and now your response is, I can't sell at this time. And we went, okay, God. Uh, So then we found this huge old cathedral on, uh, on King Avenue. Big, big, huge, I think, Presbyterian church. Huge cathedral. Uh, it was being occupied by a Russian Orthodox church, I believe, at the time. And it got us thinking, well, this is way more space than we needed, but how could we use this big, gigantic sanctuary, all these old wooden pews and everything else? And made a couple of offers on that, and they weren't accepted. We went, okay. And then found this place downtown next to Faith Mission, and it was a dump. And God said, this is it. This is where I want you, next to Faith Mission, and I am going to have you guys fix this place up, shine it up, and you're going to use it for my glory. And so we started way up in Worthington, got down to Victorian Village, short north area, and then got downtown next to Faith Mission where he would ultimately have us engage in a ministry for the homeless. We had no idea how God was going to use that building, but we did know, God, you closed these other doors so much that we had no choice, right? It wasn't even like we could go back and make bigger offers, The doors were closed on us on those other options. God was forcing us northeast as our map this morning, or northwest as our map shows this morning, right? Sometimes he does that, and we had to be okay with that. We had to go, all right, no on this one, no on this one. What do you have next for us? We embraced the process. And so I only share that to say, I think sometimes when the Holy Spirit is maybe preventing us from something in life, It can be frustrating for believers, right? Sometimes we can go, God, what are you doing? And we may not embrace that tension the way we should and say, Lord, I don't know, but I trust you, and I'm going to keep walking as you direct. So our third section this morning is going to be God's plan. 
So we saw God's provision for where he would ultimately send these guys. We see him prevent them from going where he does not intend for them to go. And now in verses 9 and 10, we're actually going to see his plan. What does he have for these guys? Even though you already know the answer. (laughs) Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately, Luke writes, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. God closed the doors on these areas that we thought we were supposed to go to. God gives us this vision, and now we know that is where he wants us to go and preach the gospel. This was a petition, if you will, in in this tense. Um, You see a, a plea, a petition in this vision to come to us and help. Um... There doesn't seem to be any consternation about where they should go. There doesn't seem to be a committee formed to decide, is this God's will for us? Luke writes, we immediately packed up our stuff and went. And the other thing that I love is that their conclusion is completely rooted in God's agenda. You know, it wasn't conciliatory. It wasn't a consolation prize. It wasn't like... Well, okay, he's obviously prevented all this. I guess we go here. No, they knew because they had eyes for the gospel. They live with the gospel as a filter and a lens through which they do everything in life and operate. I mean, shouldn't that be true of us? Shouldn't we live in such a way that the gospel influences everything that we say and do? That's not always true of me. You guys, I'll I'll tell you right now. I might struggle with that. These guys said, that's where we're supposed to go preach the gospel. (laughs) And so their response to God's call and his prevention of them going into Asia sends them to Greece and Macedonia. So God provided them with Timothy, a half-Greek and Jew accepted by everyone in Macedonia. Uh, Timothy was a huge, strong believer of great reputation. In Troas, they unite with a Greek physician, Luke. And just think about some of the cities that they went to in that region of Macedonia. Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, Um, we might say at some level Ephesus. I mean, Ephesus is still on this side of the sea, but it begins to have some Grecian influence. You guys know these letters, and you know how important their missionary efforts were in these cities. And so this is God's plan for them being revealed. And for just a second here, I just want to take a look at God's provision in the man Timothy. Look at how that sort of resulted in the rest of Scripture. 
Just listen to this for a second. This isn't even every single reference to Timothy that I'm about to share with you. These are just some. In Acts chapter 17, uh, we see that Silas and Timothy remain with the Bereans while Paul moves on to the next city. So we see that Timothy is responsible. He can be trusted. Acts chapter 18, Silas and Timothy join Paul at Corinth, so Paul can then devote himself to preaching. Acts 20, the third missionary journey, he accompanies Paul to Macedonia and Greece again. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul calls Timothy my beloved, faithful child in the Lord. And then in verse 10 of chapter 16, 1 Corinthians, he says that Timothy is doing the Lord's work. 2 Corinthians, the Son of God was preached to you by us and Silvanus and Timothy. That's what Paul writes about Timothy, that the Son of God was being preached to those believers in Corinth. In Philippians, Paul says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon so I may be encouraged by his report about you. Colossians, And many of these letters, Paul writes that I, Paul, and Timothy greet you. 1 Thessalonians, he says, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. That's what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica about the man Timothy. That he was sent by Paul, dispatched, for the express purpose of strengthening those believers in the faith. Second, or First Timothy, my true child in the faith, this command I entrust to you, my son, fight the good fight. You can be entrusted to stay there and refute strange doctrine. Remain in Ephesus. Do not let men teach strange doctrine, he says later in First Timothy. Um, guard what has been entrusted to you. And then lastly, and I told you, these aren't even all the references to Timothy. Um, in Hebrews 13, the text says, Take note that Timothy has been released. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 23, we learn that maybe Timothy had been imprisoned much like Paul. So even like his, his mentor, he incurred trials for his work in the gospel for his work in remaining strong, to refuting strange doctrine, to endorsing sound doctrine. There's a cost to that. And so I just shared all of that for just a moment because the provision that we see by God in the first part of chapter 16 ends up having an amazing impact on the early church. An amazing impact in all of those cities in those missionary journeys for the glory of God. And so our third principle this morning. God's plans are designed for His glory and we are privileged to participate. God's plans are designed for his glory, and we are privileged to participate. God is omnipotent, 
omniscient, sovereign, he's all-powerful. He doesn't really need us. But what a blessing it is that he chooses to include us in what he's doing to reconcile souls back to himself. We should be grateful and thankful that he chooses to use people like you and I in this great work, this ministry of reconciliation, as Paul says. We have become ministers of reconciliation to restore creation back to their creator. We don't save people, but God allows us and privileges us with the opportunity to be a part of it. And he does that by directing our paths, which sometimes includes preventing us from going here. It might even be from saving ourselves for a moment, right? Some of us know that we can get ourselves in an awful lot of trouble if left to our own devices. And God is gracious enough to actively prevent us from doing this and going here simply so that we don't become our own problem. And he empowers us And he provides for us and he equips us, sometimes even before the assignment becomes obvious. He did that for these guys. Before they knew where they were ultimately going to land and end up, he had provided for them way back in verses 1 and 2. What a neat thing. He does the same thing for you and I, even if we don't recognize it. Uh, Alistair Begg one time said when he was preaching through the book of Esther, and maybe we'll do this here at Renew soon, He said that the providence of God is rarely understood and recognized in the immediate until you come out on the other side and you go, oh, that's how you are working, Lord. Think about Esther. For such a time as this, for such a time as this, God had made provision for her to be in the presence of the king and be in the king's court to ultimately become the king's favorite. And so that she could save her people for such a time as this. But in the immediate, it's very, very difficult sometimes to recognize the providence of God and what he's doing. But when you come out on the other side, you go, Oh, God, that's what you were doing over there. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord. Acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. In all your ways. Not just some. Not just occasionally when you want to go to the east. Or the north. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And he does that so that we can bring him glory. And ultimately be a part of what he intends to do. Amen.